do I speak on a topic that so many people um, respond back to it? And basically with the message of saying, hey, that really stirred my heart, but what do we do about it? And so we're going to come to the topic of forgiveness again. Paul deals with forgiveness in, in Ephesians chapter 4, and, and what he's really trying to do is he's trying to make us be people that are an exception to the rule in the world. That we are, the rest of the world doesn't really forgive. Forgiveness, matter of fact, most religions don't even deal with forgiveness. Christianity, the core, we talked about last week, the core of Christianity is forgiveness. And the Apostle Paul deals with it. Let's put that verse up there, Ephesians chapter 4. And it, and it says this. In this text we talked about last week, so I'm not going to try to re-preach this at all, but the idea of this text, if you'd read it backwards, is basically, and the way we dealt with it was that way, is that the solution to the things above is being people of forgiveness. So in other words, the way we'll look different than the people of the world is by being kind and tender-hearted. And I'll read this text in a minute. And the way you're kind and tender-hearted is you live in forgiveness. So Paul says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's the stuff of the world. Remember, it's this, this thing of putting off bad, bad behavior that does not reflect Christ and then putting on right behavior that does reflect Christ and it's done because of the internal work of the Holy Spirit. So put off all those things and then put on, be kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So we looked last week at how, as we, as we dissected this verse, the answer to the whole verse, the key is forgiveness. If we live in forgiveness, then we will be kind and tender-hearted towards one another. We won't then let bitterness take root in our life. We don't let bitterness take root in our life. Then we won't, and we looked how unforgiveness is the root of all of these, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, um, and malice, that the root of all of those is unforgiveness. That if we had forgiveness, none of those things would be expressed towards other people. And so we want to take from that foundation and we want to move forward. And what I really want to do is create a pathway so that you can say, okay, you expose the fact that as we looked at three different categories of forgiveness last week, you expose the fact that I'm in a category I don't want to be. We looked at the category of obedient forgivers. And I used Suzanne as an example and, and said this is how, her, how she dealt with this tough family situation over 27 years. Then I dealt with somebody I called an almost forgiver. And who was the person I dealt with? It was the almost forgiver. Me. That I sat at the funeral and I said, how come I'm angry at the funeral? Because all these people were saying wonderful things and I'm going, but no one's t- pointing out the past. But what about all the tragedy that happened? No one's saying that. And I realized, you know what? Although I had built a very good relationship the 27 years from that point on, I always read everything through the lens of the pain of that hurt. And I was an almost forgiver. And an almost forgiver was actually able to have a pretty good relationship. But Jesus, in the one parable we looked at, says, but you've got to forgive from your heart. And I realized my heart I hadn't really forgiven. But then we looked at the last one, and that's the one that Paul's really dealing with here. It's the unforgiving. We looked at bitterness and how bitterness then um, not only ruins a person's life, but it spreads even to the rest of the people around them. And so, so you were, my challenge at the end, or in the, in the beginning and the end, was look for who you are, and if the Lord shows you that, you that it's not where you want to be, that you would say, now let's move in the right direction. So today's kind of about helping us move in the right direction. So I'm going to invite Suzanne to come up today, because I use her as my model of the person who did it right and who taught me how to forgive. And uh, that's no pressure, right? But I mean it with all my heart that that, that, is, that is true and that Suzanne, I have learned a lot about forgiveness from Suzanne. And so what we're going to do, actually what I did is I put this together as a regular sermon and then I realized I couldn't just preach it like that. And I texted her at work, she's at work being her nurse-ness, <laughs> and I said, hey, sweetie, how about if on Sunday, I said, I put this together and it's really, I just don't see how I can preach it and make it effective. How about if you come up and sit with me and we just talk about it? And she immediately said, I'll do whatever you want. Now, that's a good wife. The same wife who told me last night to go fishing and she cut the grass. And so, <laughs> which was not probably smart, but, uh, but anyways, I told her because Anthony was down there last night, Anthony Welch and Paul, and I said, listen, Anthony, when you're looking for a wife, 
<laughs> find one that'll say, honey, you should go fishing, and I'll cut the grass. <laughs> I did tell him that last night, just so you know. So, so anyways, this is what we're gonna, how we're going to approach this today. And this is why it's not just a, it would be tough just to preach it. Because in all the feedback I received and the information she gave me beforehand that I looked at to try to, to formulate together, basically I looked at a bunch of points that describe, first of all, what forgiveness is not. Because what I found, as I looked at it myself, and as Suzanne, some of the information that helped her over her life is, we have a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. We think it's something other than it is, and we look at it and we say, it's impossible, I can't do that. And we conclude, I can't forgive. So we're going to look at six things that forgiveness is not. Then we're going to just take, kind of briefly, because I talked about it a lot last week, what is forgiveness? And then we're going to look at a three-part path to saying, okay, I know what it's not, I know what it is, now how do I apply it to my life? So it's like a whole bunch of points. So we're going to try to talk through them pretty quick. And we'll try to not take two hours, right? Yes. And can I just say one thing before? You can say many things. You know, when Mark had asked me about um, preaching, you know, the sermon last week and what he could share, um, it made me uncomfortable because, well, because I was the <laughs> obedient forgiver. And I think it's really important to say it's a process. You know, it wasn't that one day I just was like, oh, I forgive you, and then it was all hunky-dory after that, or roses. It was this process, which is why I'm really glad we're going through this part, because, yes, it starts with a choice, and then, you know, this morning we were having a conversation, and I found myself getting a little um, overwhelmed and reliving some things, and so I went in... We went in my office and I prayed and it's, you know, some, some days it's, um, it's a day by day thing. And so I think that's just important to say that it is, it is this process. So it's not a magic bullet, but it's a process to get moving. Exactly. So let's look at the six things first. And I challenge you to write these down. The six things that forgiveness is not. All right. And this is going to free you up a lot because sometimes we think forgiveness is something that it's not. The first thing that forgiveness is not is forgiveness is not a feeling. Now that's good news, isn't it? Forgiveness is not a feeling. Uh, when scripture tells us to forgive, um, it's not saying we should have a good feeling towards a person who did something uh, bad to us. And a lot of times we think it is. They say, oh, I didn't, I, I'm not forgiving because, because I don't feel like forgiving or I don't feel positive towards somebody and we think that that would mean I can't, I haven't, or I can't forgive, or I can't forgive until I have a good feeling. And, so, and I would say it's almost the opposite. Yeah. That the choice to forgive comes before the ability to forgive. You know, because you know, and it doesn't matter. You know, Mark referred to my family situation. Um, you know that the result of my parents' divorce 27 years ago. Um, but obviously there's daily choices to forgive, and there's forgiveness in families and friendships and coworkers and all a plethora of different types of relationships. And the, I think the key question is, especially as Christians, when we say, I'm a child of God, I'm a follower of Christ, and I want transformation to be like him, is whose heart do I want? Do I want God's heart, really, or do I want my heart? You know, because in many situations, our emotion says, I have a right to be mad. I have the right to be hurt. I have the right, and we do. You're going to talk about that in a minute. Right, we do. But as Christ followers, if we look at his example and say, okay, so I feel this way, but whose heart do I want? Then it takes the feeling part out of it. To start with, you know, and just to say, no, I, I am going to walk in obedience with Christ and choose to forgive. And, and there's, a, there's a thing beyond that, just because sometimes we, we boil Christianity down to sheer obedience. Well, he said to do it. It doesn't matter how I feel. Therefore, I'll just do it. Understand, the reason that he says that, that forgiveness is not tied to, to feelings and that you're often your feelings will tell you you don't want to forgive and you're going to choose to obey is because God has something better in mind for you. That what God has for you is better than unforgiveness. And that he's saying, listen, I know you feel this way, 
but I want something better for you. He knows that hanging on to unforgiveness, on to re- this idea of revenge and anger and bitterness and rage and wrath, all those things that he talked about, that hanging on to those things destroys us. When we look at the three categories of people last week, and of course I had to be very careful to not name names or even allude to stuff. And I told Suzanne afterwards, I said, what you didn't know is I actually talked to Josh beforehand, and Josh told me, Dad, you can't say that and that and that. <laughs> because that and that and that... Um, make it seem like you're, that somebody could look at it and say, oh, you're saying this person, and I tried not to, because I, that was not appropriate. Um, but as I look at the people that I see that have lived in what started with unforgiveness, it turned into bitterness, and then the wrath and the anger and all those things came out of it, um, that it's been tragic. And that because they would choose to say, I'm going to follow my feelings instead of obedience, the end result is this ugly thing that poisons people around them. And it's just, it's just sad to see. So the reason we follow obedience instead of feelings is because God has something better. And our feelings will lead us to something worse. That doesn't mean feelings aren't, aren't good. Feelings are from God. But feelings can be wrong. And we don't follow a wrong feeling in a wrong path. And that's why forgiveness does not begin or forgiveness is not a feeling. Right, and when you're at that point of, you know, the high emotion of feeling hurt and wounded and in this place of, like, you know, negativity, I think as Christians we need to remember that we know that Christ asks us to walk in forgiveness because that's his example, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, he's, if you're in that situation, he is going to enable you and equip you to walk in forgiveness even though you don't feel like it. You know, and that was the, for me, that was a huge, huge, huge turning point for me. Because I remember saying to Mark quite often, I can't. I can't. For so many reasons, I cannot forgive. And just one day, I remember the Lord speaking to me and saying, you're right, you can't. But I can. In you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. He will work in me and in you to walk out that forgiveness, even though you don't feel like it and you don't think you have what it takes to to rise to that occasion to walk in forgiveness. You know, the same way Jesus Christ walked that trail to the cross, sweating blood, tears of blood, um, God enabled him and gave him what he needed in those moments, and he'll do the same thing for you. So let's move to the next one. So okay. forgiveness is not a feeling. Number two, forgiveness, because we have like ten points. So, uh, so forgiveness is not pretending that you were not hurt. This is, this is classic wrong Christianity. Forgiveness is not pretending you were not hurt. Walking around with a painted smile on your face that says, um, oh, I'm just fine when emotionally you're dying inside, is not forgiveness. That's phoniness. And, and here's the deal. Jesus didn't pretend. When we want to know how to live, we look at Jesus. Jesus didn't pretend. Um, when Jesus was sad, Scripture says in John 11, he cried. When Jesus was angry, uh, John 2 says he went into the temple and he flipped over tables and he took, made a whip and he drove people out of the temple because they were doing what was inappropriate in the temple. He said, you've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. He was angry, and it says he was angry, and he acted in anger. But remember, Jesus could be angry and yet not sin. Um, When he was lonely, um, Matthew 26, he cries to his father, Father, where are you? And so Jesus didn't pretend about his, his feelings or his emotions or his situation. And sometimes in Christianity, we think we have to deny, um, pretend that we're not hurt. Um, You don't have to. If you're hurt, you're hurt. And I think... I was thinking more about this yesterday, and I thought, you know, there's, so Mark is an external auditory processor. So when something happens that gets him upset, he is able to identify this is what's going on. Well, I'm an and internal. And I talk it through yeah, out he talks loud, it through. and I destroy everybody around me. Because yeah, <laughs> they have to listen out. to me process. Yeah, but I'm an internal processor, and for whatever reason, Growing up, and I'm, I'm not—I don't know that it was a parenting thing. I don't know if it was a personality. I don't—I I don't know. But identifying emotions was not some—you know. Now I think they teach kids, or they try to emotional awareness of how are you feeling and identify. Well, I wasn't one of those. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I was in my 30s, and I was at a counseling 
I don't know what's happening. And um, they had to actually give me a chart that had all the emotions on it. Because I could say I was mad, sad, or glad. That was it. Um, And what I've learned is that being able to identify what emotion you're feeling and being able to name that to the Lord is essential in the process of forgiving. Not denying it, not ignoring it, not, you know, putting the smiley face on that everything's okay. And, I mean, there's a time you have to do that, right? I mean, when you have kids at home and you're struggling, you're not necessarily going to be telling them all the details of what's going on. So sometimes you have to do that. But especially in your times alone with the Lord, to be honest and to say, you know what? I feel rejected. I feel like I've been kicked in the gut. And I feel betrayed and hurt. And whatever the emotions are, you to name that is so freeing, especially when you understand that Jesus himself had emotions of anger and loneliness and sadness and rejection. He identifies. He knows every emotion that we have. And so to be able to name that and, and not to deny the hurt, not to deny the pain, but to name it and put it out there in light of who Christ is, changes the whole perspective, changes our perspective, because with him all things are possible. And so so naming it is so important. And I'm going to put a plug in for Trek, because I'm telling you, Trek is not a cure-all, you know, but for me, you know, 27 years ago, this large event happened in my life, which was a pretty defining moment for me. But when I went through Trek last year is when I realized that the bigger emotions of what I initially felt, I kind of dealt with. But there were other things that I like put in the closet that I did not even know were there. And it kind of unpacked this box of stuff that I didn't really like. But I'm glad now. You know, I sat at the funeral and I told Mark, I said, I'm so glad I went through truck last year. Because it really helped me to like put an end to some of the things that I had been feeling and, and the way I had been living in relationship. And so um, so Trek was very helpful in being able to identify what are your emotions and what have I been not dealing with in order to move on. Which is, a, a what I've noticed, a pretty typical Christian response to hurt is just to pretend it doesn't, didn't happen. You know, maybe it's a human response. Well, when but. you're, you know, for me, like my life verses were as much as, as is possible with you, live at peace with all men. You know, um, let no unwholesome, um, uh, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth except what is edifying for the believer. You know, when, you're, when those are like your life verses, then to say to somebody, like, you hurt me and I feel angry about that or I feel rejected, that's, to me, that wasn't living at peace. It you know, seemed that was, to you to be seemed, incongruent. Right. But However, it's, it's not. not. It's not. That was a false narrative you believe. Right. Right. So recognizing your hurt. Understand you are justified in recognizing the hurt caused by another. Identifying the fact, I've been hurt and I feel bad about it. That's essential for, for forgiveness. So number three, um, forgiveness, and this is a huge one. This is, this is the one that I think was... This has caused the most conflict in Suzanne's family. And I told you we wouldn't bring your family up at all in this whole thing, but this is, this is a big one in all situations. Forgiveness is not saying what the person did is okay. Forgiveness is not saying what the person did is okay. See, many people refuse to forgive because they believe that they, if they forgive, they are condoning the actions of another person. If I forgive you, it says what you did was okay. And then what happens is, if in a family dynamic, if you forgive, this person did something. If you choose to forgive, we're going to say what that really means in a minute. Um, we choose to forgive. Other people who have not chosen to forgive say you're taking sides. And it causes all this division. And we have to understand that's, that's not God's plan. That forgiveness is not saying what the person did is okay. You can say, what they did stinks. What they did was destructive. You can say to somebody, what you did caused incredible, terrible pain to us and our family. It does not, but you can still forgive the person. 
And we'll see that how that works in a minute. Forgiveness in no way minimizes what a person did. And I think the, the biggest obstacle that I've seen in this particular situation and in Christian circles that I've been in has been people think if I forgive you. So somebody has a moral failure or whatever. If I forgive you, which may result, we'll talk about this, may result in a renewed relationship, may not. But if it does, then everybody goes, oh, you're just pretending what they did didn't matter. And it is not it. It is, does, not, does not excuse them for what they did. You know, as Christians, we, we know this. When we die and we go to heaven, we will never stand before the Lord and give account for what somebody else did. We will give account for what we did. And so in the condoning or forgiving process, you know, that was another thing I just, that was huge for me. Like if I forgive, it's saying I'm condoning this behavior. Well, the the thing that the Lord very, very clearly spoke to me about in a Sunday morning service was it is not your job to condone or not to to condemn or not condemn. That is between me and them. Your job is to walk in obedience to what I'm asking you to do. And that's all that matters. And, you know, I will never stand before the Lord and give account for what somebody else did. I don't know motives. I don't know intentions. I don't know behaviors. I, I don't know it all. God knows it, right? But I'm responsible for me. And, you know, I remember um, the day that I picked up the phone and called um, the people involved in the situation, it was a Sunday after church. I mean, it was, the Lord dealt with me so clearly that I went home and I sent him to the store because I knew he wasn't going to be kind of funny. Be she said she's going to call and I said, over my dead body. said, you aren't, I mean, I was ready to kill people, not forgive people. And she said, oh, I need something from the store. I was so naive, I didn't understand what she was doing. She sent me out of the house. She grabbed the phone and she made the phone call because she knew I would rip the phone out of the wall. Yeah. I'm like, there's no way. You are not talking to those people ever again. That was my response. This was a big deal. You know, but I was, was wrong, but... <laughs> but for me, it was so pivotal in that, in, in that situation that I, I'll never forget. I picked up the phone and I, the, one of the main people answered the phone and I said, I'm calling to tell you that I forgive you. I do not condone what you did, but I will not let you ruin my relationship with the Lord. This does not mean I ever want to see you again. I don't know that I ever want to have a relationship with you. But I want you to know that I forgive you and I am not letting you ruin my relationship with the Lord. And then I, I asked for the next person that was there and I said the exact same thing. And for me to be able to verbalize that to them was so healing and freeing for me. Because it let go, I felt like I had to give account for or make them pay for what they had done. That's not my job. That's not our job. That's between them and the Lord. And may the, might the Lord ask you to, to have a conversation, and we've had many conversations. I've asked some very hard questions. But understanding it's not your job to condone or not condone, condemn or not condemn. Your job is to serve the Lord and do what he's asking. And it's very freeing. It was very freeing for you to know by forgiving does not mean you're saying what the person did is okay. Number four, um, this one actually is amazing because um, this one, dealing with the topic of forgiveness this week, a person said to me, but, how, but you're telling me I have to trust that person. I said, oh, no, 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 listen to the sermon on Sunday. <laughs> I said, because point number four is this, forgiveness is not trusting the person. Forgiveness does not mean you say, now I trust you. There are a lot of very untrustworthy people in this world. And if someone has hurt you and sinned against you, it is right to be cautious of them. It's right to say, I'm not sure I can trust you anymore. Uh, Forgiveness does not mean you immediately allow that person back into your life and more importantly, back into your heart. You know, trust is not an automatic right to the offender just because you forgive. Now, if they are repentant and they are willing to work on restoring the relationship, you might be able to develop trust again with them eventually. However, sometimes that just isn't going to happen. Um, it, some people just can't be trusted again. 
And I think one thing that is important to just say, like, it's okay to establish boundaries. You know, because a lot of times the people that hurt you most are the people that you care about the most deeply, right? And so in in a hurt situation, that trust is broken, and the only thing that can rebuild that is time. And so... Time and right action. Right. Right. Not just time. Time right. and well, right time action. will prove the action, and yeah. you yeah, know. Yeah, so yeah. as time goes on, you know, you'll be able to see: is this person trustworthy? Is this some? Is this something that you know I should reestablish a relationship or or what? But for me, it was it was a a big thing for me to understand: it's okay to put boundaries in place because it's saying to the person, okay, I do care about this relationship enough that I'm, I'm willing to work on it, that I'm willing to take some steps to move toward something that I'm not even sure how it would look in the future. But boundaries are healthy, and that's okay. You know, but again, sometimes as Christians, we have the misconception that it's just, you know, um, you just forgive and now... You forgive Arms and forget are wide open. and now jump right, right back into an unhealthy situation. Right. Oh. You know, because we have Jesus' example of when we come to Christ, his blood covers our sins, and he says, as far as the east is from the west, I remember no more. Well, I don't have a brain like that that can never forget, that can forget everything. I wish I could sometimes, but we don't. And so putting the boundaries in place is very, very healthy. Um, and as far as trusting the person goes, one spiritual exercise. Am I talking too much? Um, no. Sorry. They're all saying, man, we like listening to her a lot more than him. <laughs> uh, but it, this is just a, a spiritual exercise that I have found that has helped me when I'm struggling in a relationship with somebody that I'm having maybe some unforgiveness and like trust. How do I, how do I, Lord, how do you want me to move forward? And it's this, is I find, you know, my spot of just being with the Lord, quiet, and I close my eyes and I just kind of picture in my mind that I'm walking with this person to the foot of the cross. And I ask the Lord, Lord, show me this person through your eyes. And then speak to me about how you want me to interact with this person. What are you asking me to do in this relationship? Because I think sometimes we, you know, some people are fixers, and I try to be a fixer and a peacemaker and make it all better. And I've learned the older I've gotten that sometimes I try to do things that the Lord's not asking me to do. The Lord's not asking me to fix that situation because he needs to do something on the other end in the other person's life too. Your fixing may be hindering the Lord's right. work. And in my life and in theirs. Yeah. You know, and so for me, it has been an extremely powerful spiritual exercise to do when I'm struggling with, Lord, what, what is it you want me to do? Because right now I feel like walking away and saying, I don't ever want to talk to you again. I don't want to see you again. I want nothing to do with you. But is that God or is that just my human response? So, Okay, number five. Forgiveness is not relieving the person of responsibility. For, and it sounds similar, but it's the same, but it's different. Forgiveness is not relieving the person of responsibility. What I mean by that is a person shouldn't be off the hook from his or her responsibilities just because you choose to forgive. For example, um, you're in a family situation, a marriage situation, and uh, one spouse um, is unfaithful, the marriage breaks up, the person leaves... Um, and there's children involved, that person who caused that problems is responsible toward that family still. They need to pay child support. They need to pay for, they need to have responsibility for what they've been involved in. And so when we say this sometimes, oh, I forgive and forget, and that means, oh, if I forget, that means there's no responsibility. That doesn't mean that at all. Forgiveness does not end responsibility. Um, it's not unloving to hold somebody accountable, even to the point of holding them accountable before the law. You know, there can be accountability issues with forgiveness that are that are horrific on sexual abuse and molestations and those things. Those things, it's not unchristian. It doesn't say you didn't forgive if you say, and I'm going to call the police. 
And they're going to, because God's the one who created civil government. He's the one who's had man create civil government. Since civil government has laws to protect us. And sometimes we think as Christians, it's unloving if I, if I would do something that would then cause them to have consequences. No. Actions have consequences. Just because you forgive does not mean that the person is not responsible for their consequences of their actions. They chose to do something and they must suffer the consequences for their actions. And so just because you forgive them does not mean they're free from the consequences of their actions. That makes sense? And does it mean then that you are responsible for picking up the responsibility of their action? You know, we, in one of our family situations, you know, we, um, the law was involved and some things happened. And, and so I found myself, me, trying to take responsibility for what the other person had done and trying to fix that. That's not what the Lord's asking you either. And that's, again, why we just need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what are you asking me to do? What is your heart on this matter? Because he may ask you to do things that completely shock you, and he may, well, good or bad, he may ask you to do something that's stretching you or something that is is relieving to you. You know, but when in keeping somebody, because it's not our job to keep somebody accountable, but letting them take responsibility is okay. We don't have to feel bad or guilty or, you know, like we're making things worse. No, they made things worse by their mm-hmm. their action. Yeah, and that's and I've seen that a lot with Suzanne. Is her feeling guilty because of somebody else's actions? I'd be like, Susie, you didn't do it, but you're the one who's owning this. You know, you've got to let it go. And uh, and of course, that's easier said than done. But uh, so well, because different people have different personalities. Right. You know, and so you just have to recognize your personality. Are you a fixer? Are you a pleaser? Are you just the leader? And it is what it is. So, Number six. I know we're plowing through these. We have plenty of time, though. Keep talking. I love it. Um, And and you're going to see in a minute why it's so important we're saying what it's not. Because some of these I'm hoping you're identifying going, oh, really? That doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem right to me that I, I could forgive them and, and um, not trust them, or I could forgive them and still make them accountable. No, this is just, that, though, these things are a misunderstanding of forgiveness. So the last one is, what forgiveness is not, is forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Just because you forgive a person, it does not mean that relationship can or should be restored to what it was. Now, I think you, should, you can aim for a a civil relationship, but it does not mean it can or should be restored to what it was. Now, once when there is repentance and forgiveness, reconciliation is a wonderful thing. Matter of fact, I think it's one of the great expressions of the reality of Christianity. When people have been greatly hurt and they reconcile, when unfaithfulness has happened and somebody still says, I forgive you and I want to reconcile and I'll do whatever it takes, that's a beautiful picture of the love and the grace of God. However, that's not always possible. You know, so one reason it absolutely can be impossible is the other person doesn't accept responsibility for their actions or refuses to admit what they did was wrong. And so how how can you have a healthy relationship if they won't even acknowledge what they've done is wrong? And they won't, they won't, make amends for it or they won't move forward. They say, well, whatever, you know, I left you, that's what I did. It's not, you know, no. Without, without that, there can be no reconciliation. So forgiveness does not demand that there will be reconciliation. That makes sense? Well, in the reconciliation, you know, going back to the boundaries, um, if we look at like our social work system, you know, if, if somebody you know, does something that results in them losing custody of their children, then the parents have to go through X, Y, Z before they can then gain custody back of the children. I think that's similar to this. You know, you put the boundaries in place, and then it's up to them. You know, you keep your heart where it needs to be with the Lord. You keep your heart from getting bitter, you know, malice, all those things. Um, And so you do what you can do. And you put the boundaries in place and then leave it up to them. Are they going to do what they have to do in order to, in order to um, build trust back? Because you've got to build the trust in order to reestablish the relationship, right? 
So, um, so those six things that forgiveness is not. Now, let's look at basically one thing that forgiveness is. I want to define forgiveness. So you're saying, okay, now I understand what it's not. What is it? Jesus helps us a lot um, in, this, in the Lord's Prayer. And it's interesting, most of the translations you read have the, have the Lord's Prayer written in a certain way. But when we recite it as a group, we use it in a different version. So when it comes to forgiveness, what do we pray? What do we pray? We pray, forgive us our what? Trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What do most of our translations say? The one I read, that's the one that I read, the New American Standard, if you're a King James person, King James of it, a lot of our translations use the word, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's a reason for that. Because the real meaning of forgiveness, it has to do with the idea of a debt. You see, here, here's how it works. If someone sins against me, they basically, what happens is they, they, they took from me or they hurt me or they damaged me. It's as if they're now indebted to me. That they did something to hurt me and now they owe me because they took something from me. Maybe they took their, my safety from me. Maybe they took the innocence from a child that was molested. Maybe they took a person's value away because in their sin they crushed them down for so long. Maybe they took um, their, their, their security and safety away. I, I'm afraid I can't even live in this situation anymore. Or they actually took something of value from you. What happens is, in, by doing that to you, they now are indebted to you. That's really what's happened. They've taken something from you. Justice says they owe you Something. So if they stole from me, they owe it back to me. If they took my safety, I should be put back in a place of security. That makes sense? So what the idea of forgiveness is somebody did something that they took from you and they now there's a debt involved. What forgiveness is, is the cancellation of that debt. That's what forgiveness is. It's saying the debt has been paid in full. I'm not going to come back after payment anymore. Um, so the example is Jesus. He writes, paid in full over the debt of our sins of our lives, right? We sin, we're guilty. He says, I died in your place, and now on your account, I've stamped it, paid in full. You no longer owe the debt that sin created in your life. So when Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we understand people have that it, through, through sinfulness towards each other, it's as if they owe me a debt. Forgiveness simply says this, I'm canceling my right to retrieve the debt from you for that situation. Because in, in the debt being owed, what we're saying is, okay, so you stole my security, you stole my identity, you stole um, my innocence. We can cancel it because as children of God, we recognize that he is our security. Yes. He is our joy. He, you know, he, he, is, is, he is whatever that person took from us. He fills that place in our life. And so we, if, if we hang on to that uh, debt, then we are giving the devil a foothold and giving into a lie that says, that person, if this relationship is right, then I can be happy. Then I can be joyful. Then I can be secure. No. Our, all of that is found in Christ. And so it's, we are able, through Christ, to, to say, I forgive you. I cancel the debt because he is everything to me. And, and what it means is based on that, uh, whatever the offense or the long-term offense, the situation, is you're basically saying with this person, and remember why we said what forgiveness is not first. I'm not saying you necessarily trust them or whatever again, but it's saying based on this event, we have a fresh beginning. I'm not going to read the rest of our relationship through the lens of this event or this issue. And that's what I tried to express when I talked about the almost forgiving. That when I said, I sat at the funeral and I, sat, and I, was, I was conflicted because I had a 27-year relationship with this man who died, and it was a good relationship. It was, it was positive. We laughed together. We had fun together. But what I realized when I wanted, I wanted someone to stand up and say, but what about what he did? What about what he did? What about the trauma he caused to, to his family, to church? What about that? 
you know, and I wanted, and so what I realized is I was still reading through the lens of that situation. So I said I almost forgave uh, because I saw a relationship and, and maybe I, I don't know if you could partially forgive, I'm not sure how this works, but Jesus said forgive from your heart. I was still reading through the lens of that situation and I couldn't, I never said paid in full. I never said I'm not going to bring it up again. I never said I'm not going to read you through this lens anymore. I always had that lens in my glasses. And, you know, when we were talking, I, you know, as much as we all have to be forgivers, we also are people that have to be forgiven by other people. And as we've been walking through this, you know, the past couple of weeks, I've told Mark several times and I've said it to different family members, I do not want to be defined by my worst day. My worst behavior on my worst day. I don't want people to stand here when I die and remember she said this thing about that person or she did. 30 years ago. Right. And that is not how Christ defines us. And so, you know, canceling the debt gives us freedom because as we choose to forgive, people are then going to forgive us back. You know, we make it easy for people to get forgiveness from us. They're going to respond the same way to us. We all have chapters in our life we don't want read out loud. right? Somebody just posted that on Facebook, a Toby Mac post. I think I mentioned it last week. We all have chapters in our life we don't want read out loud. And so this is saying, I'm going to close that chapter. We can reestablish, we can build a new relationship. I'm going to close that chapter. And divorce care... Um, ministry, because those of you in divorce care, I went, I, I went in your book in your room and I took your divorce care videos and I watched your forgiveness video twice and went through your workbooks um, and, uh, and looked at it. And divorce care says that to, um, it takes, um, it teaches that the canceling of the debt comes with a threefold promise towards the person that you've forgiven. You make this promise. I won't bring it up again. I won't gossip about it. And I won't dwell upon it. So when I say I cancel the debt, that's the way to tell it. I won't bring it up again once I say I've forgiven you. Now understand, Suzanne brought it up earlier. This is a process. Forgiveness is a process of a whole bunch of little forgivenesses. It's on and on and on going. It's a process. You keep, you, you keep saying I choose to forgive. And in that process, one of the ways you have to do is you, you have to stop yourself and say I won't bring it up again which is reading through the lens of it. I won't gossip about it. In other words, I won't talk to the rest of the family or friends about it. And I won't dwell upon it. And that's a choice. Our minds can only think of one thing at a time. One, you can only focus really on one thing. Although I would disagree with that, even though people say it because I don't know how a piano player can read one line of music, another line of music, and words in the middle. It's physically impossible. But um, how they do it. But anyways, um, they say you can only really focus on one thing at a time. And so when you focus on, when you choose to dwell on this, you can't dwell on the right. So that's why the Apostle Paul says, think on these things that are good and upright and of, of, of pure and of good report. So what you do is when that thought comes to your mind, we're going to talk about that in a minute, that thought comes to your mind, you choose to not dwell on it and to think about something else. You, you don't just say, oh, I wish I wasn't dwelling on this. You choose to think about something else. You choose to have a verse of scripture that you've memorized related to this and you begin to confess that scripture. You do something to say, I'm not going to dwell on that thought towards that person. And you, you ask family members and friends that you trust that if I'm going there, help me. Help me, redirect me, point it out to me because I don't want to go there. You know, because especially when the offense is something fresh, it's it's consuming, you know. And so having people that can be praying with you, that can be help redirecting you and helping you identify, yeah, this really is on my brain like 24-7. Um, and then making that choice to not dwell on it will become easier as you begin to, to practice that. So... Let's move to the next thing. Forgiveness now is saying, it's about canceling a debt, letting go of a past situation. Is saying, I choose not to hold it against you anymore. I cancel the debt you owe me. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to dwell on it. Now, you go, oh, wonderful, Pastor Mark. That sounds real easy. I'm just going to choose to not do that anymore. I'm just going to choose to cancel debt. I'm not saying it's easy. Um, but it's possible. And as Christians... 
We are indwelt by the very presence of God, the Spirit of God, and we are being transformed into Christ's likeness, who Jesus is our model. He forgave. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He lives in us, and we can forgive because Christ is in us, forgiving through us. His presence in us is forgiving through us, and He's empowering us to forgive. So it's possible. And I found that there is a, a process of forgiveness that I can engage in to partner with what God is doing in me so that I can see forgiveness realized in my life. So I have this idea, this is what forgiveness isn't, this is what it is, got to cancel, how do I do that? And I found there's a three-part process, and I'm imperfect at it, you know, and I, and I revealed saying, okay, I was pretty imperfect at it in this situation. But I found it works, and it's worked with me in other situations, and helped me in this situation. So three-part process to forgive, three steps. The first one, bring the forgiveness issue into the context of the kingdom of God. And I use that terminology a lot for things, but it changes everything. What do I mean by that? You know, we saw last week, Jesus told a parable of trying to express this concept of forgiveness. And he says um, that this one slave had a massive debt, tens of millions of dollars, could never repay. He was forgiven. And he then had a person who owed him a little bit of money, about a third of a year's wages. And he had that guy, he wouldn't forgive him, and he had him punished and thrown into prison. prison and, the, and the God figure in the thing, the master, says, you wicked person. And he, and, he, and he punishes that guy. He's saying, you don't get it. What he's saying is, you don't understand forgiveness. And the way I know you don't understand forgiveness is because you're not forgiving. So we looked at is the way we forgive is we look at the magnitude of the forgiveness that's been extended towards us. And so um, bringing an issue into into the kingdom context says this, I understand that I've been forgiven much. And God, I want you to help me now to forgive as I have been forgiven. And we recognize that any forgiveness that we have to extend in this life in context, when I say this, I don't mean it's, not, it's insignificant because there's great horrors people do. But in relation to what God has done for humanity, it is a small thing. And it's achievable because God is in us doing it through us. So we bring it into the context. We invite God to be part of it. We allow him to show it to us in the big picture. Because what we usually do is we focus on the little picture, me and my hurts. The big picture of me being in this context of Christianity, which is a context of forgiveness. Because I couldn't be a Christian without the forgiveness of God. And then I say, God, as I have been forgiven, now help me to forgive this person. You do it through me. And when we remember that in, you know, there's a saying that at the foot of the cross, it's, um, it's, level. it's level. So there's not one sin that's greater than the other. From God's perspective. From God's perspective. Now, yes, there are, you know, there are some atrocious things that happen, but God loves the person hurting you. The as much same as way and as much as he loves you. He died on the cross for that person just like he died for you. And so being able to bring it into that context, you know, and like I talked about what I do about just taking that person to the foot of the cross. And that's why. Because in God's eyes, it's level. It's equal. And he loves that person just as much as he loves you. And to recognize the same way you need to be forgiven or you need to be a forgiving person you need to be forgiven. There are people you and I have offended and hurt also. And you say, well, not in the magnitude of that. You don't know that. I don't know what I've done, how much it's hurt people. The people who we're referring to, they didn't, they didn't get how much they hurt other people. And so I need to dwell. I need forgiveness. Because I live in this context of grace and forgiveness in the, in, in the kingdom. And therefore, I have no other choice and it's not arm-twisting choice. If I've received such grace and forgiveness and I want it every day because I offend, I can offend Suzanne probably every day. I need forgiveness. Then I need to extend it also. So that's the first thing. Bring it in the context of the kingdom. So that puts it in the right perspective. The next thing, and now hear what I'm saying before you judge me. Okay? And I've used this terminology before in the context of forgiveness. Make a deal with the devil. This is the spiritual warfare aspect of this. And here's what, here's what you need to understand. This isn't just human going on here. The enemy of your soul wants you bitter, wrathful, angry, clamorous, slanderous, and malicious. He wants you that way. 
You know why he wants you that way? Because when you're that way, you don't represent him. You cause division in the body of Christ and the church will never be what it's supposed to be and you'll never be effective for the kingdom. You are a great emissary for Satan when you live in unforgiveness and bitterness takes over your life. And I'm saying you can be a great emissary for Satan and you can still be going to heaven. You're destroying the work of God on earth because of that. So the devil, you know what he loves to do to you? Why do you think in the middle of the night you're sound asleep and you wake up and you're thinking about that offense? Why? You're laying there, it's three in the morning, and boom, when you wake up, you're thinking of this person did this to me. Where do you think that originated? What's the genesis of that? It's the enemy of your soul. He is whispering into your spirit, into your heart, remember what they did. Right now, you're hearing this sermon that's going to challenge you to let it go. And there's a voice inside of you going, but they don't know how bad I've been hurt. Where do you think that comes from, that thought? It's not from God. It's from the enemy of your soul. And so here's what I found I do, and this has worked wonderfully for me over the years. And the Lord actually spoke it to me, Pastor Pete, at a silent retreat in the shower. Don't try to do a mental image. Um... (laughs) Because I was mad at someone who had hurt me greatly in the context of the church world. I had been treated very poorly. And I was mad at my silent retreat and I can't pray. Because all I keep thinking of is what this person did and how they hurt my family and what they did. And I'm mad. And I'm, try- I'm, I'm holy. I'm at a prayer retreat. And I can't. I want to kill the guy. I want to drive 300 miles and find a guy and blow his house up. I'm mad. You know? And this is how he processes. <laughs> and that's why I process it verbally because I don't do it physically. And so, so the Lord spoke to me and he said, pray for him. I'm like, over my dead body, you know, pray for him. God, I want you to kill him, you know. And the Lord showed me a wonderful principle. That it wasn't that my praying for me said, make a deal with the devil. My deal was this. I said, devil, every time you bring this situation up into my mind, into my heart, I'm vowing to pray about this situation and specifically pray for that person. And this is what I found happened. The Lord told me it was going to happen. The devil stopped bringing the person up to my mind because he knew if he woke me up at three in the morning, I made a decision. I, and I'm a person of my word. If I make a promise, I'm going to keep it. I'm making a, I made a promise to the devil. Devil, bring this guy up and you watch out because I am going to pray for that guy. I'm going to pray for his family. I'm going to pray for his business. I'm going to pray for his cars. I'm going pr- to pray everything. And did my heart really want all that for that person? Not really. But you know what I wanted? I wanted the devil to shut his mouth. And it works. When I pray for that person, the, it, it's a spiritual warfare, and I'm silencing, I'm, 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 I'm breaking the plan of the devil. He's saying, I'm going to keep you so fixated on this that you can't sleep, you're, on, you're, you're, you're bitter and you're angry and you're wrathful and you're resentful and you're useless. And when I make a deal with him, I say, go ahead. I really, I'm like, it's like a challenge. I go, come on, bring it on. Wake me up, devil, at three in the morning because I'm praying for that person. And the devil shuts up. I just want to interject because this whole point, everything that he just said reinforces the and just highlights the need to stay connected to the Lord yes. in the midst of the hurt. Because what, what is our natural human tendency? We get hurt. You know, honestly, my situation, I quit praying for three months. My obedient forgiving did not happen for three months. I could not pray. I shouldn't say that. I could have prayed. I chose not to because I knew if I went to prayer what the Lord was going to do and what he was going to ask of me, and I I refused to do it. And you can ask Mark. I became a very different person than he, the woman he married. And I'm not proud to say that. It's just the truth. And so the importance of staying connected to Christ, of keeping him as the center, of taking it to him moment by moment, day by day, it might be second to second, is key. Because you're not going to hear the voice of the Spirit challenging you if you're not keeping yourself in that place of connection. 
So let's move to number three, because number three is really almost the same as number two, but it's, it's a little different. So number two is you're making a deal with the devil to silence the devil. That's what really doing. Number three is this. Pray for the person's blessing. Pray specifically for the person that has hurt you. And, and this may sound impossible. You may do it through gritted teeth and without any real meaning at first. But there's a reason why you're doing it. Because as you pray for them, something happens to you. God does a work inside of you. God begins to change your heart. And what generally will happen is your feelings will catch up with your prayers. But you make the decision to pray for the person. You begin to, what happens when you do this, you begin to be released from the prison of unforgiveness and bitterness. So as you begin to pray for that person, you're the one, the bars fall off the prison doors. And they don't, you're not held captive anymore. And then you can process through, how do I, you know, how do I forgive this person? What's, how do I cancel the debt? What's that look like? So you pray for them. You pray for God to bless them. Because here's how you will know when you've actually forgiven a person. When you stop wishing that they would die. You stop wishing that a car would hit them. Or that they're all, they would invest into all the stocks that would crash at one time. Or, or whatever it could be. You, you stop hoping for their destruction and you really hope for their success. Well, it's when your heart becomes God's heart for them. That's the, reason, that's the revelation. You now feel towards them like Jesus feels towards them. That's how you know you're forgiven. Now, is it a flat line? No, it still ebbs and flows. It's a process. But that's how you know you're walking in forgiveness. You actually want what's good for them instead of wanting them to get a flat tire on a rainy day on a mountain pass. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Just saying. And so, so here, so, so I know there's like a ton of steps we gave you right here. But I think this was the right response, the right reaction to the response from last Sunday. I was saying, this is a real big deal. Because here's, here's, the, idea, here's the, re- the reality. We all live in react relationship with other people. If you're in a relationship with one other person, you're going to be offended. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be disappointed. Because there's no two people, because we're, because we're people. And we can't live together without that happening. It's impossible. You can overlook it, but it's, it's going to happen. And so forgiveness is part of our everyday life all the time. Not always these dramatic things that literally tear a whole families apart and destroy churches. But there's stuff every single day. And so this is a very real part of every one of our lives. And we want to end this in a way. Suzanne asked me, she said, can I end the service the way God dealt with her 27 years ago about this big issue? I said, go ahead and do it. So lead. So why don't you just close your eyes? And this is just what I'm going to ask you to do is obviously as we've been talking, you probably already have a situation or a person in mind of, of that the Lord's dealing with you about that you should forgive. And um, right now I want you to just take that to the Lord. And what I want you to do is in just a moment when I say I, this, I don't want this to be a response to me or Mark or anybody else. This is a response of your heart saying to the Lord, I, I feel that you're dealing with me about this, and I'm going to take the first step that says I'm choosing to forgive even though I may not feel like it, or I'm choosing to continue to walk in forgiveness even though I don't feel like it because I'm trusting you to work it out. And so what I want you to do is if you want to work this out today with the Lord, I'm going to ask you just to stand and come down to the altar and find a place to pray. I'm going to ask you to come down and and you shut yourself in with the Lord and give him opportunity to speak to you and to minister to your heart today. And so if that's you today, I just invite you to come. And Father, we just pray, Father, in these moments that, Lord, you would give strength. Lord, this is not about who's looking or who's not looking. This is about you looking at our hearts. 
And Father, I pray that as people take that step to trust you, to work out this forgiveness in them, that, Lord, they would see the miraculous, that they would feel your love, that they would feel your strength, Lord, that they would feel your activity in their lives. And that, Lord, when they walk away from this place today, that, Lord, you, they would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that circumstance is in your hand. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you for the practicality of what we talked about today. We thank you for the reminder that your word is powerful and able to speak to us and lead us and to guide us. And so, Lord, now today, in these moments, do the work that only you can do.